Greetings and welcome tonight. Thank you all for coming. You can go ahead and be seated at this time. I think everybody in here knows who I am, but just in case you missed it, tonight I am Mr. Rachel Lugo. I am the other half of this dynamic duo. And I couldn't be more proud of that. We're already getting to that stage in life where people go, are you Rachel Lugo's husband? And my answer is yes. Yes, I am. And I'm okay with being Sister Lugo's husband. And that's who I am tonight. My name is Desi Lugo. For anybody watching online, if you're not aware who I am, I am very honored to be here tonight. And tonight is the ordination service of my wife, Rachel Lugo. And they asked me if I'd be willing to come up here and make just a few comments before we go any further. And I was thinking about this today and what I'd like to say. And I have one scripture reference that I want to share. They can go ahead and put that up on the board. And this comes out of the New English Translation. This is Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. Now, I chose it out of the New English Translation because of the way it worded that. Often that's rendered helper in English, that first word. But the Hebrew words, there's two words there, azer konegdo. And that Hebrew word azer probably better means companion, one who was like Adam, not someone who was subordinate or less than Adam, someone who was his equal, someone who would walk beside him, someone who would work with him. The same Hebrew word, by the way, is used throughout the Bible where it describes the Lord as our helper. And we certainly don't think of the Lord as being subordinate to us because we use the word helper. But this is how Genesis describes the first husband and wife. This pair this male and female, who worked together. And then the second half of that verse, it says, one who corresponds to him. The Hebrew word there, konegdo, it's the idea of the mirror. One who completes the other half of something. And so God decided that Adam was not complete until he had a companion who mirrored him. And tonight... We are ordaining my mirror. Rachel is every bit my equal. She is every bit my companion. She is every bit my helper, as in one who stands beside me, not behind me, not beneath me. One who is just as capable as I am. And she mirrors me, and together we reflect God's glory. And I could not be prouder of her. We met in college, in Bible college, I was a good student, and I only say that tonight to give comparison, and I made straight A's. Well, guess what? She made straight A's. I was a year ahead of her at CLC, and I don't often share this, but I was valedictorian of my class. I had the highest GPA of any student that year. The reason I share that is because the following year, guess who was valedictorian of her class and had the highest GPA? She has done just as well in school as I have and has done just as much as I have. I went to UGST, and I was very privileged to do a degree program there. And while she did not do a degree program there, and that in all sincerity was a reflection of time and money, we could not afford for both of us to do a degree program at the same time, and we didn't have time for both of us to do that much homework. 
every semester, she took at least one class with me so that way we could have a date night. I know, we're nerds. But we'd have a date night so that way she, but I'm giving you the picture. We went to Bible college together. She made the same grades I did on her own. I went on to my master's program. She took classes with me so we'd have something to do together. We have partnered in ministry. We have literally worked from coast to coast, from California to St. Louis to Delaware. Now, next month, in Jesus' name, we'll be ready to depart to the missions field as the Lugo family and as a missionary couple. And again, she is beside me in everything I do. And I know that in God's kingdom, I am more complete because I have my mirrored half, my companion who corresponds to me, working next to me. I am very proud to be an ordained minister with the United Pentecostal Church International. I am a one God, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Jesus-name-baptizing, apostolic minister of the gospel. And so is my wife. I am an ordained minister, and tonight, so is my wife. She is every bit my partner in all of this. And I want it publicly stated for the record, should there ever be any question, I 100% fully endorse this message. I am very proud of you, Rachel Danielle Lugo. And tonight, I couldn't be more proud to be the husband of Sister Lugo. Congratulations, baby. I love you. That was beautiful. Almost turned me to a ball of mush. I'm talking about Rachel. Did you catch that? Rachel Danielle Lugo. Even their names correspond. I didn't, it just registered when he said that. How cool is that? God is good. All right, stand with me. We will. Worship him, and we sang this song. I want you to think about the goodness of God in your life, just how awesome God has been to you.
Would you lift your voice to him in praise right now? Jesus, I love you tonight. I worship you and I praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. You may be seated. Allow me to begin by thanking um, our district board members that are here, thank you for representing our district in this ordination service. And um, to all of you that are watching online, welcome, whether you're watching live or you're watching this at a later point. We welcome you also to these proceedings, and particularly any of Rachel's family. We welcome you to this special moment, and we're glad that we've been able to provide you with access to this, even as you are living in other parts and regions of the country. And so welcome. Thank you for being here. I am here at the request of Rachel. I contacted her and said, who do you want to preach your ordination service? I had no anticipation one way or the other due to the impending trip to Vanuatu and the uh, lack of clarity about how that was going to unfold and the timing. I wasn't sure if she asked for certain people how I was going to get them. Because some of our great preachers are booking out two and three years out, so it's kind of hard to get them. But I was very honored, and I want Rachel to know that tonight, that when she said, Stephen, I think right now in my life and where I'm at, you're the one that needs to preach to me. And so, Rachel, I promise you I plan to preach to you. This is a very special lady. I'll admit to you in our season of discernment that as a team brought to us that the Lugos felt that their time here was drawing to a close and we're so excited about what God is unfolding in their life. But I will admit to you at the time when they told me that they felt that their time was drawing to a close here, I had a Rachel attitude. <laughs> Rachel is known for knowing what she should feel 
and then being very transparent about what she's actually feeling. And I had that. I knew I wasn't supposed to have an attitude, but I did. I love this couple, but I love this woman. I was honored a few years back when she informed me I met Desi and Rachel at Urshan Graduate School of Theology. I met Desi first, and then I met Rachel. Very quickly, I fell in love with them as, a, as individuals. I fell in love with them as a couple. It wasn't long before she informed me of a distinct honor. She said, there is no one beside my husband that can get under my skin like you. And all of you who know Rachel, Rachel is a Southern girl. She has been schooled in things I know not of. She knows how to handle herself with poise. She knows how to bless you to your face and knife you to your back. She doesn't do it often. And the Lord is making her do it much less. But she knows how to discipline herself. So the fact that I could cause Rachel to lose it was a distinct honor. And the fact that I was put in the same camp as her husband, who is an awesome dude, who I love dearly and have the greatest of respect for, I couldn't have been more pleased. All levity aside, Rachel and I, over the last few years, has done a dance. It's a dance in which she really wants me to change a lot of things. And she succeeded in some. But there's a lot that I haven't changed in, and she's had to grapple with that, and I... I have so valued that just as I did not and would not give up on her, she did not and would not give up on me. We are true teammates. You make me better. I can't stand most of what you tell me. You irritate the dickens out of me but you are my teammate. And that's not to the exclusion of other teammates that I have. But tonight, my dear brothers and sisters, tonight is about Rachel. So please forgive me if it stays all about Rachel. We'll worry about her big head later. We'll worry about how she takes it in and whether she gets an attitude or any of the other things. But tonight, today, it's all about Rachel. I love you dearly. I believe in you. And I'm going to do my best tonight to share with you my heart from the word of God. That will not only make tonight special, because tonight is special. As you are acknowledged. I don't even like the language of raised. Because you've already been our peer. But acknowledged 
within an organizational structure and within a church structure that you are an ordained minister of the United Pentecostal Church. But I also want to, I want to speak to you words that I believe God needs you to store away because you're not going to have the ability to call me when you're having a meltdown. It's going to be a little harder with time change and technology. And we'll do it occasionally, but I want to give you some words that when you can't, and when you're facing the things that I believe are in front of you, great opportunities, but also great challenges, that from the word, you'll have the voice of the master, perhaps in my irritating tone, resonating within your mind. I want to also acknowledge, in addition to the district board being here, I'm so thankful that her mom and dad have made the travel from down south up to here. Mom and dad, Patrick, do not like traveling in the northeast. I have no idea why, but they don't like it. Also, I want to acknowledge Rachel's good friend, Sister Michelle Graham. Thank you, Michelle, for choosing to be here. It is a privilege, and it was a great joy and delight to me. It wasn't about me, but it still gave me joy and delight to surprise Rachel with your presence here. So thank you for placing that priority and being here with her. All right, allow me to turn to the word of the Lord. You know that I am a student of the word. You know that I, by formal training, am a biblical scholar. And so I'm going to do something tonight that I technically would tell most students they're not allowed to do. So I will ask your forgiveness, your license, and I think you will find that I am being consistent with the word, if not being as literal as I prefer to be. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 12, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment. We'll put my title slide back up, or actually Rachel's title slide. It's not even a title. I've not titled my message tonight. Let's go back for a moment. Understand that the Apostle Paul, as we know, was a Greek-speaking Jew. He was a part of what is known as the Diaspora, specifically coming from the city of Tarsus in Syria. We don't know exactly when he came to Jerusalem, but there are indications that he came relatively young. And by the time we do meet him, we know that he studies with the leading professor, Gamaliel, and we know that he has 
handled himself in such a manner that he has direct access to the high priest. He knows how to work the halls of the Sanhedrin to such an extent that the political structure of the Sanhedrin and of the Jewish temple structure gave him authority to do things that his teacher actually cautioned the entire Sanhedrin not to do. Don't touch these people, Gamaliel said. If you do, you run the risk of being against God. If they're not of God, they will disappear. But if they are of God, you're going to find yourself fighting God. Now, we all know the story, and that is exactly what Saul found himself in. And on the road to Damascus, he did not have a revelation of a new God, but rather he realized who this God was when Jesus knocked him on his keister blinded his eyes, and the Apostle Paul then, not the Apostle Paul at the time, but Saul said, Lord, Curios, who are you? And what a shocking moment when that voice spoke back and said, I am Jesus. Just think of those words. I am Jesus. He knows what the I am. He's expecting to hear I am that I am. He knows what that is supposed to be. But instead of the I am, the I am says, I am Jesus. What a revolting development. In my study of the Apostle Paul, I like to think of him as being relatively young. In fact, if you were to force me, and it's a guess, I will admit that right now, but if you were to force me to consider when did he come to Jerusalem, I would contend to you that he came as a boy. May have come just after his bar mitzvah, just after he stepped into Jewish manhood. And so by the time that we get to his persecution, by the time we get to him not listening to Gamaliel, by the time we get to him going to the Sanhedrin, going to the high priest and seeking letters of empowerment to go and to persecute throughout Jerusalem and then throughout Judea and then as far as Damascus, he's still a relatively young man. I could be wrong, and I acknowledge that to all of you. But in my attempt to understand Paul, I see him as relatively young. He describes himself later, which had to be before his conversion or his moment of revelation on the road to Damascus. He describes himself as more zealous than all of his peers, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, above and beyond anything that his peers were, which makes sense given his ability to even supersede his teacher's instructions to the Sanhedrin. Now, even if he's older, what I'm going to now say still holds true. But if he's younger, it makes it even more poignant. So he's on the road to Damascus, and he has this encounter with none other than the Christ. In fact, in Galatians, he says, when Christ revealed himself in me. What a revolting development. And now, suddenly, he sits, and he's, his eyes are caked. Here comes that disciple, scared to death lacking faith, but obedient. By the time it's over, Paul's filled with the Spirit. He's baptized in Jesus' name. The scales are gone from his eyes, and the same eloquent, passionate young man that was for the Jewish faith is now eloquent and passionate for the faith of the gospel. 
for the revelation of Christ within him. And so there's various ways to paint this out. He is insistent that he did not immediately go to Jerusalem. And and so if we take him at his word, he probably went off into Damascus, into the, excuse me, into the desert, the Arabian desert for a season, then came back to Damascus. But by the time he does arrive, forget the timeline, that's for a class, not for tonight. By the time he arrives at Jerusalem, the place where the elders are, the place where the apostles reside, the place where the brother of Jesus presides over the Jerusalem church, the place where the believers are gathering daily in the temple, the place where revival is happening. When he gets there, they don't trust him. They don't believe in him. They don't believe his word. And it takes the son of consolation, Barnabas, to even get him an audience with the leaders, with those who are in authority, with those who are supposed to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. And so he does. He meets with them, and by the time it's over, He's not given authority to go and preach the gospel. He's not ordained. He's not empowered. Instead, the picture looks very much like what he did is very quickly, the Jerusalem church got him quietly out of town and sent him back to Tarsus where he sat for up to 14 I'm not here to tell you that God didn't use those 14 years, but I'm here to tell you that the church sometimes blows it. The church sometimes does not follow the leading of the Spirit the way that Christ would want us to. And if you don't believe me, go and read the letters to the churches in Asia Minor in Revelation. There's more correction there than there is affirmation. So we should not assume that we also are not susceptible to that same brokenness in our humanity. Can I say it bluntly? The Apostle Paul, known as Saul, was not properly acknowledged, understood, empowered, or embraced by the church. It took the son of consolation, Barnabas, again, to go and find him after 14 years. I don't know what took him so long, but it took him after 14 years. He goes and finds him, and he takes him to a different kind of church than Jerusalem. He takes him to a church that has made some different decisions than Jerusalem. Jerusalem's still preaching the gospel. Jerusalem still baptizes in Jesus' name. Jerusalem still has people filled with the Holy Ghost. But there was a decision made about who was going to speak and who was going to be spoken to. And Jerusalem said, we're going to constrain who speaks and we're going to constrain who is spoken to. And Barnabas may have waited those 14 years because he had to find the right place. And there was persecution that, of course, ensued. In fact, it was Saul's persecution. And and those disciples that went out of Jerusalem, some of them went 
and they spoke only to Jews. But Acts tells us that some of them went to Antioch and they decided to do something revolutionary. They decided to do something spirit-led. They decided to do something that Jesus had told them to do, which was take the gospel to all the world. Not all the Jewish world, all the world. And they went and they spoke to the Gentiles. And that was the birth of Antioch. And that radically changed the character of the place called Antioch. Antioch was just different. And in that place, in Acts chapter 13, you find a team of people gathered together and they're a little motley. They're, they're a little unorthodox. They're, they're coming from different places around the empire. They're not all Jews and they all don't have the same pedigree. And somehow Barnabas recognized that this guy saw, we're blowing it, but I got to find a place to take him. So he took him to Antioch and there they ministered together. And that was the context in which the spirit spoke and said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. This is a side note, but it's a little hard for the Spirit to separate people for the work whereunto he has called them if we don't first embrace them. Jerusalem missed a golden opportunity. So returning to my text... When Paul writes to a son in the Lord, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. I sense within it a now older man speaking to someone who had learned from him, someone he also had seen, someone who was also outside the boundaries for his mother was a Jewess, but his father was a Greek. Somebody who made people uncomfortable because it didn't fit the norm. And he writes to him in this letter and he says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Now let's pause for just a moment here. How do you force someone not to think something of you. If you've ever tried, I'm sure that you have been frustrated. It doesn't work. I can't control what others think. So was Paul telling Timothy to worry about what the others thought? I don't think so, Rachel. I think his words here, in typical Pauline fashion, were actually not what they first appear to be. I think this was more about Paul speaking to Timothy about how Timothy reacted to what others think. Perhaps coming from his background, coming from his own experiences as a young Jewish boy, Zealous beyond his peers. You know, that always makes you popular when you break the curve. Your fellow students love you when you're the smarty pants in the, pant, in, in the class. When you stand out, that gets you favor, right? <laughs> your teachers might like you. 
And you may succeed in life, but your peers are not happy with you. You made the test harder. You've turned up the heat on them. So I feel like that Paul speaks to Timothy, and he speaks to Timothy in a manner coming from his own experiences. He says, Timothy, you are unique. Timothy, you are different. Timothy, you are not normal. I know I'm not normal. But the reason you and I click is because you ain't either. (laughs) There's times you're happy about that, Rachel. There's other times you'd rather that go away. And you wish I'd quit reminding you, you're not normal. You're not excited about me pointing you to being true to what has always beat within your heart. That sense that I'm in a world, but I don't quite fit. I can live this world. I can do it really well. In fact, I'm a queen of that world, and yet something's missing. You didn't marry the short Puerto Rican to fit in. Timothy didn't fit in either. Tonight I wanted to come in, and I, but, I, but I don't want to narrow it to this. I wanted to come in and say, Rachel, don't let anyone le- think less of you because you are a woman. But it's not just a woman. It is that. And yes, our day and age and our movement is struggling right now to understand that it is high time that we stop making distinctions that God does not make. What God has called You do not call uncalled. We're not struggling over Jew and Gentile now. No, we're struggling over power that's got to do with other things. But you see, tonight, it's not just as a woman. You preach the most powerful sermons while sniffing the whole way through. You want it to change. You want to be something else. And yet, everybody leans forward when the sniffs start. Because we've learned that there's power coming through that word. We've learned that there's anointing flowing through that word. We've learned you are the weirdest preacher. What other preacher walks up with bags of stuff? What in God's name? The first time that you started doing that, I thought, dear Lord, what is she doing? But I watched as you would pull stuff out of these bags and you would do these things and anointing would flow and power would flow. So it's not just woman. I don't know what to do. So the only way I know how to capture this for you is to say, don't let anyone think less of you because you are Rachel. And like Paul, I think, speaking to Timothy, I understand the cost 
of that mandate. I understand the pressure. But you can't, you can't go that way. Desi, you better go get her a couple of tissues. I can already tell the sniffing's coming, so we might as well get it taken care of. Don't let this broken world change how you think. We won't fix everything in this broken world. But God has called you. And you can't let that pressure change how you think about you. I imagine that the Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, found in Antioch a place that was it was peaceful. It was a world he was familiar with because it was Jew and Gentile coexisting, but it was, it was even better than the world that he was used to because it had the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so he watched this, and he, and he worked in that team, and then, and then God said, I need you to go to the work that I've called you to. And he found himself in an environment that was thoroughly Gentile. And he tried to bridge the gap. He would go every single time to the synagogue. And every single time, and you hear it in Romans over and over, the love of his heart for his people would beat so deeply that they would run him out every single time. couldn't understand, they would not embrace. And yet God, in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that loss, he'd save a few more Gentiles. <laughs> and he'd plant a church. And then he'd send Saul on to another spot and he'd do the same thing again. He'd get stoned to death, but God would raise him up. He'd get flogged, but God would raise him up. He'd get jailed. God would set him free. And he worked his way across Asia Minor, across Macedonia and Greece, and ultimately to the city of Rome, constantly wanting to be the apostle to the Jews. But we all know what he was. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the single most effective missionary. And he forever set the course of Christianity. He alone was the one who God used to balance the excesses of the rest of his church. This is the one who writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, 
and they try to sideline you. You can't control what they do, but you can control what you think. There's no other way this makes any sense because I can't control and you can't control what others think. So the idea that don't let anyone think means that somehow you're going to force people or you're going to change them or you're going to power them down. It just doesn't work. There's no way that makes sense. And so the only way that I can make sense of this passage is that Timothy is being instructed to resist what others think when what they think doesn't match what he thinks. You see, the suffering that comes with that is why we do not become puffed up. Sounds arrogant. Paul literally looked at the whole church and said, you're wrong. He walked into a council and said, no. He withstood Peter to the face for he was wrong and said, you cannot do that. This is Peter who had the keys to the kingdom. This is Peter who took him, we think, to his fishing boat and told him about Jesus as a new convert. This is Peter who stands and Jesus said, I'll build my kingdom upon the declaration of my divinity that Peter has been, it's been revealed to you. This Peter and Paul has the chutzpah to stand in that moment and go, you are not right. You're capable of doing that. I am a force of nature. I've never had anybody get in my face like you do. And yeah, you're sweet about it, which makes me even more mad. But you don't stop. You don't back up. You don't move. You just keep coming until I hear you. Don't let anyone Think less of you because you are Rachel. Hear me, my dear fellow laborer. Hear me, my dear teammate. Hear me, my dear lady. Hear me, thou woman of God. Do not allow anyone, world or church, think less of you because you are Rachel. You have been bought with a price. You have been called with a calling, and you have a work to do in this kingdom. Don't bend. Don't bend. Yes, it'll be hell on earth at times. Yes, it will hurt. Yes, it will be suffering. Yes, it will be alone. But my God will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you always. He will never, ever leave you. Paul goes on. He says, be an example, Timothy, to all believers in what you say and the way you live and your love and your faith and your purity. Focus on reading the scriptures to the church. Focus on encouraging the believers. Focus on teaching them. You are always going to push the margins 
of theological erudition. And as long as you hang around with people like Desi and I, we are going to throw our hands in the air in exasperation. And yes, you should listen to what we say and you should do your best to take it into account. But in the end, don't let anyone, don't let anyone, don't let anyone, including me and him, think less of you because you are Rachel. Because the facts of the matter are is that the most erudite of us all that know the scriptures the best are still pathetically far behind the true wisdom of the Almighty. So if he's with you and he's guiding you, yeah, you're going to make me shudder. Yeah, your husband's going to go, oh, my Lord. But speak. Bring forth the word. God talks to you, lady, whether anybody wants to acknowledge it or not. And if the Almighty talks to you, it really doesn't matter if anybody else acknowledges it. The Almighty has already acknowledged it by speaking to you. It's interesting that this passage precedes. The Lord led me to verse number 12. I didn't know what to speak to you. I, I, I didn't know. It's an honor. You're the first person that my signature has been involved in the process of ordination, and I couldn't be prouder and I couldn't be happier. I didn't know what. And in typical fashion, I'm in the bathroom. And the Lord talks to me. Luckily, I was showering, not actually using the bathroom. But anyway, he tends to talk to me a lot while I'm using the bathroom. But anyway. And he took me to verse number 12. I did not know. Verse 14 says, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when... The elders of the church laid their hands on you. That's the ordination. Now, I'm not telling you that you don't already have the gifts. That there's not already been words given. But it is interesting that this message, this passage of Scripture, sits in the middle of exactly why we're here tonight. He says, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. The way you'll handle all those tasks. Is something like, if not actually, Asana. If you want to go where you need to go, you have to run your tasks. You became children's ministries director, and it was a highlight 
when you come in with wide-eyed panic and said, Stephen, tell me everything you've been telling me for the last year. I need it now. I didn't gloat too much, but I did take five minutes to just say, I told you so. And so I'm going to take 30 seconds here and say, I'm telling you so. Yes, you're headed to the mission field, and yes, I know things will be fluid, and you will thrive there, but I'm still telling you, the more that you are intentional, the more that you throw yourself into your tasks, I know you don't like it. I know it feels stifling. But if you want to make progress, I didn't make this up. It's right there. And I didn't even plan on it tonight. But I said, Lord, you're going to guide me. There it is. It's right there. I'm not making it up. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. know that it's already been shared with the team. You shared it last night. Yeah, you're going to take your places that you would rather defer to your mirror. You have an effectiveness. I don't like it. It's irritating. You shouldn't be that good. You shouldn't be that effective. I should be that effective. you are. Yes, study to show yourself approved unto God. But God has formed you. God has made you. Pay attention. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right. Stay true to what is right. Be careful of your southern conniving. Use it where God leads and guides you, but watch it. Stay true. You know how to do it. It's hard. That's where you and I are dangerous together because we're both connivers. savvy stay true to what is right why so for your own salvation but also the salvation of those who hear you Rachel God has called you God is called. Humans don't have any right nor authority to deny. You can't control what other humans will do, but you can control what you allow what they do to do to you. strong.
be fearless. Be bullheaded. Be everything I know you can be. Be everything you know you can be. You've done it to me. You've done it to this team. Go forth into this world and do it as he leads you and as he guides you. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are Rachel. District Superintendent, are you ready for the formalities? And by the way, formalities are important. We Pentecostals don't like them, but they are important. And so, Rachel, if you would come and stand facing the, the pulpit, but in the middle. This is a surprise that I would be in this position when you were in that one. I don't know if it's ordered of the Lord, but I'm glad that this has worked as it, as it has. Ordination is a solemn occasion, and I have many times heard others speak that whenever there was an ordination that many of those who were already ordained would they would kind of tag along to renew their commitment and their living for God. So while you are being ordained tonight, for those of you who have already been ordained, join in with us and recommit. And for those of you who are not in a preaching pulpit type of ministry, you are also part of this ministry. The church is not the preacher's. The church is the church. It's you. I'm not part of the church because I'm a preacher. I was part of the church before I was a preacher. You're the, you're the church. And in ordination, we are just... Ordination is peers acknowledging what God has done, that God has used her. Now, at this point, I need three hands, and I can prove that evolution is not so. If it were, mothers would have evolved three hands so that they could handle their children better. And some of us guys would have gathered along with that as well. 
Well, we're going to do what we what is sometimes called a ministry covenant. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. <clears throat> ask you to commit to these things, and there's not a thing here that you haven't already done to get here. But because God has called you to the preaching ministry, it's good that you have answered that call with obedience and action. And it's imperative that you keep this continually in your thinking and dedicate yourself each day to this task. Do you so commit? You don't have to be quiet. <laughs> Will you commit to be true to the obligations now placed upon you as an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The calling of God into the preaching ministry is unique in that it demands the serving of people. Now, we all ought to be serving each other, but this is a little different level. It recognized that the called one will better the lives of those that she serves through the enriching message of the gospel. Do you then commit to the serving of others for this purpose? To fulfill the purpose of God through the ministry of preaching, will mean <laughs> the leaving of houses and lands and familial surroundings. This sounds crazy for me to ask this question, seeing what's about to happen, but do you so commit? <laughs> and since unity and harmony are so valuable in God's work. Will you commit to strive to always value the opinions and work of your fellow laborers and do your utmost to keep unity, or in your case, form it as far as possible in all that you do for the work of God's sake? And having been prospered by the hand of the Lord and called by his divine grace and power, you should now maintain every area of your life so as to represent him and the church and your personal ministry. Do you so commit? Um, normally or in areas where I have ministered before. At this point, there was generally a call for the pastor of the candidate, if they were a member of the church somewhere, to come and join the board in the prayer of ordination and the uh, laying on of hands. As you've already heard, we are not working so much with the Jerusalem model as the Antioch model. And we're going to take it a step beyond Antioch. 
we're going to ask the members of the district board and the pastoral team of Newark United Pentecostal Church, not quite yet, but to join us up here. We're going to pray for Sister Rachel, lay hands upon her. But we're going a step beyond Antioch, and I'm going to ask that the lead of this, the first ones to come, and you'll stand here where I am, Brother and Sister Patrick, her parents, we're going to ask them to say a few words, and then they are going to pray a pastoral blessing. Then the rest of us will join them in laying hands. So pastoral team, district board, will you come form a semicircle around us here, please, or around her? Well, you know your pastor's a risk taker. You should be surprised. But I want y'all to know my daughter is hard to fool. Her radar goes off, the bells start ringing. She knows something up even if she doesn't know exactly what it is. And I know this is a solemn moment. I don't want to take anything away from that. But Pastor Beardsley has given us the opportunity to say a few words, knowing how risky it is to let a father speak about his daughter, and especially her mother. Okay. All right. But I want to say thank you to Pastor Beersley and Sister Leela and District Superintendent Moss and the pastoral team in this church for making this occasion so special. A lot went into it. You put a lot into it. We don't take it for granted. We thank you for that. But when I think of my daughter, I think of one word. Geo. Go. <laughs> One word. Go is used a lot in the scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And sometimes, Rachel, I thought you took that as your personal objective in life. But go ye therefore and teach all nations. As a little girl, I could see her pounding the altar, saying, oh, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. She's like five years old. I'm going, oh, my Lord, what are we into here? Well, folks, you are looking at it. We stand on the brink of that. My daughter has been on a mission since she was born. I'll give you one example. When she learned to crawl, she was fast. And we were sitting right up here one night, one at church, and I put her on the ground between the pews, and I missed her ankle, and she was gone. I reached behind the pew trying to grab her. Too late, she's gone. She was headed to the back of the church. I jumped out in the aisle. I went up three or four pews, cut in, trying to cut her off. She's gone. Too late. I realized I only hope was to catch her when she came out the back. And when she popped out the back, I had just gotten there, and those big blue eyes and that blonde hair and her face was so happy. She wasn't looking at me. She was looking at those two nice ushers that sat back at the back and gave her candy every time she came in the back door. She had a mission. And I could not slow her down. The word go. I would not be surprised if I find out in some language somewhere that Rachel means go. I, I, I struggled a little bit whether or not to share this one tonight, but Rachel, I couldn't help myself. It just seems to fit. But y'all must understand that to my daughter, and I think Pastor Beersley just it reinforced that in a lot of ways. 
But to my daughter, no never meant no. I could say, no, Rachel. And she looked at me with this puzzled look on her face like, Dad, you don't understand the question, obviously. There's no way you would tell me no if you understood. There's no way. I just didn't frame it right. You just didn't hear it right. So she would keep coming at another angle, framing the question in a different way, determined she knew she should not be told no. There had to be a yes in there somewhere. No never meant no. So tonight, I am cheering you on. See, this never give up, this persistence is valuable in making it to heaven. I think the Bible even calls people like that overcomers. So I am cheering you on. You keep being an overcomer till you cross the finish line. So, if you look at the prayer of Jabez, when I read that, and he said, God bless me and enlarge my coast, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's my daughter. Why is he praying? I don't pre pretend to understand exactly what Jabez meant when he said to the Lord, enlarge my coast, but I know what it means when it relates to my daughter. From the time she was born, our home wasn't big enough. Our county wasn't big enough. Our state wasn't big enough. Uh-huh. And y'all, the United States is not big enough. She went, just as an overview, she went from our house to Cal from our home to California. Ten years. Took a husband, three children. Huh? And, and our, my business partner, one of my business partners used to tell her when she was growing up, Rachel, don't you get married and have kids and get all bogged down. You enjoy life. Go, go enjoy life. Well, what did she do? She proved him. She showed him. She went and got a husband, three kids, and she's going to take them all over the world <laughs> and see the world. Yeah, showed him. <laughs> to enlarge, she went from California to Missouri, and in Missouri to, and look where we're standing tonight, in Newark, Delaware, on the East Coast. So when you talk about enlarging your boundaries, enlarging your territories, enlarging your coast, that's my daughter. Yeah, to this moment, she's still enlarging her boundaries. And we're cheering you on, sweetheart. I, won't, I, I just believe it hasn't slowed down since you were born. And I believe your boundaries, your coast, your territories are going to continue to expand as long as you've got breath in your body. And I wanted to, oh, and by the way, her dad, who didn't want to go anywhere, she has forced me. When she enlarged her boundaries, she forced me out of my box. Uh -huh. My family, who knew I wouldn't go anywhere, perfectly content to stay at home. When she decided she was going to California to Bible school, they couldn't stand it. They came and they said, what are you going to do? Because they knew I didn't go anywhere. And I don't know about Vanuatu. <laughs> But I went to California, I went to Missouri, and I'm standing in Delaware. Yeah, so, oh my goodness, she forced me out of my box. And I told my family, my brother was the one brave enough to come and said, what are you going to do? I said, well, if my baby's going to California, I'm going to California. Now, don't project that over onto Vanuatu. Yeah, and lastly, lastly, I want to thank you, Rachel, for elevating your mother and I. From a child, you have afforded us some of the most wonderful 
opportunities to minister and to help people because you convinced your friends and your peers that your mother and I were of some worth. The, the children would treat us with respect and awe and even reverence. They would listen to what we said, mainly because you were in their ear telling them that your mother and dad were of worth. As a teenager, I can see your friends right now in the crises of the teen years. Here they'd come. They would look, we'd have wonderful opportunities to minister in the council and to help those because you were in their ear telling them that your mom and dad were of worth. And even to this day, now they have teenagers of their own. I still hear from some of them occasionally uh, because you convinced them we were of some worth. You did that in California, you did that in St. Louis, and now I get it, I get it. One of the reasons I'm standing here tonight and Pastor Beardley and this church, this team, is letting me stand here and take a few minutes in this wonderful occasion is because you convinced them that we were of some worth. So we are delighted and excited and thankful to be a part of this moment and to have the privilege to stand here with you as you're ordained the minister of the gospel is special and unique, and I thank you for it. And now I'm going to do something. Your pastor is a risk taker. I'm going to hand the mic to your mother. A very dangerous thing. First of all, I would like to say thank you to Newark UPC family for loving our children, Dr. Beardsley and wife, pastors and staff, a special thanks to Leela. You've taken my kids into your home. You've given them beds. You've given them baths. Whatever they needed. You fed them. Whatever you, they needed. You were there to care for them when we couldn't be. You shown love. You are the epitome of 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter. Thank you all for not only loving but for leading, guiding, stretching, growing, and even correcting, Rachel. Iron sharpeneth iron. And Rachel can sometimes have an iron will. Thank you especially, Pastor Beardsley, for letting her sharpen her mind and also her tongue on you. It does get a little sharp sometimes. It is with gratitude of a mother that I say thank you for all that you've done to help mold and shape our daughter into the woman that God can use to further his kingdom. When she was about four or five years old, we lived in a little wooden farmhouse on the farm, surrounded by a bean field and no neighbors nearby, thank God. And I heard this wailing caterwauling almost, coming outside, and I thought, what is going on? I ran to the back door, opened it up, and Rachel was at the top of the slide, bent over and beating on the slide, saying, God, give me the Holy Ghost. And at six years old, he did. During her teenage, teenage years, I would have to tell her that she had school in the morning, Please quit praying, Rachel, and go to bed. And she just thought I was so carnal. <laughs> but we needed our sleep. Her daddy had to get up at 4.30, and I had to get up at 6. 
And she said, but I need to pray some more. And I'd say, now, baby, there's a time for all things, the Bible says. And right now, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> she began babysitting and making money, doing little odd jobs. And she got her own little bank account. She'd saved about $1,100 up. And she was so proud of herself. And a missionary came by to our church, and, and they needed money to go somewhere. And she went and got all her money out of the bank and gave it to them. I said, baby, you're supposed to do things in moderation. She didn't do moderation very good. She just gave it all. I told Kendall one day, I said, you know, that girl will never have anything. She'll just give everything away. In May of 2001, around 6 a.m., uh, I was awakened, and I was in bed, just laying there, thinking about getting up. And this loud voice boomed out of my ceiling. And it scared me. And it said, Rachel is going to Stockton, California. And I looked up at my ceiling and I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and if I'd had the strength and I wasn't so rattled, I think I just would have stood up and saluted. You know, it was that kind of command. And in August, at 19 years old, I and her little brother drove her and her car to Stockton, California. Christian Life College while dad stayed behind to go on with our harvest on our farm in Arkansas. When she drove Parker and I to the airport to return to Arkansas, I said, now, no crying. This is God's will and we're not going to cry over it. I'll see you at Christmas. And we did. Although she called home every night so that her daddy could pray with her over the phone before she went to bed and surround her with angels because he'd been doing that since birth. Four years later, she was married, had her first child, Desi, three months, and was graduating from Christian Life Bible College's valedictorian of her class with a theology degree. First Timothy 4.16 says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them both, for in doing this thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. Rachel, you prepared yourself for this journey. May the Lord use you, anoint you, guide you and protect you, and yours that are going with you. Go out and continue to do his will. Further his kingdom and hold fast to his truths. Our love and prayers and blessings go with you. Godspeed, our child. Sister Rachel, we are now going to follow the pattern of laying on of hands and the prayer of your peers to elevate to an ordination status. We want your parents to first lay hands upon you and then everyone else to join in. And we're, we don't have a formal prayer here. We're just going to pray. And then Sister Patrick. Now the others join in with them. Thank you, Jesus. 
got to work in here somewhere, somewhat. Hey. I've got to work in here somewhere, somehow. A phrasing that I picked up years ago from Brother E.L. Holly. You know the familiar terminology of the scripture, the sons of God. That means all you ladies are sons of God. And all you guys, you're part of the bride of Christ. But Brother Holly used to use the terminology, sons of God and daughters of deity. I'm addressing a daughter of deity. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 and 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Again, in 2 Timothy 1, beginning with verse 11, he said, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6, Paul reminded them, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, 
but the Spirit giveth life. In chapter 4 of that same book, verses 1 through 5 strongly state, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, ser your servants, for Jesus' sake. In these verses, we find our charge to the responsibility we have upon us as preachers of the gospel. In the introduction, we see what God has done for you, and in the conclusion, we understand what you must do about it. God has called you because he found you faithful. Through his enabling, he has put you into the ministry. And God has made you an able minister. An able minister and has appointed you to the capabilities or the capacities that you feel led to. It's now incumbent upon you as you've received this grace that you do not fail. As the Apostle Paul said, you must renounce all dishonesty, craftiness, and deceitfulness and endeavor to always remember not to preach yourself, but you must always preach Jesus Christ. Knowing you, I don't see that as a problem. The charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 fits this occasion well. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and make full proof. Continue to make full proof. 
of your ministry. Now, Now, upon the authority vested in me by the calling and placing of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as superintendent of the New Jersey-Delaware District, and a member of the General Board of the United Pentecostal Church International, I ordain you, Rachel Danielle Lugo, into the sacred trust of the ministry of the Holy Bible and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of all creation be able to always receive glory out of your calling as you represent him to the church and to the lost of this world. God bless you richly as you continue in your calling. And the congregation said, Amen. Amen. At this point, in an ordination service, there is typically some kind of a symbol given of what you have been called to. But for those of you that don't know this, Rachel has stressed about this moment for quite some time. On the one hand, her husband in the Missouri district received a very large and ornate sword to symbolize his place within the ministry. On the one hand, Rachel wants that same acknowledgement. On the other hand, the sword was not exactly what Rachel thought matched her, so to speak. So we have listened over the years, Rachel, as you have talked about this sword many, many times. And we thought that we would try to find something that perhaps would better match you. So, if you would follow me. On behalf of the Newark United Pentecostal Church congregation, on behalf of each of the members of the pastoral team, I'm simply standing here because of we all can't share the mic and I want to get out of the way. All of us love you. We believe in you. We believe in your ministry. We believe in who you are. And so, Desi can have his sword. We think this matches you better. Now, we know this will probably not make it to Vanuatu. We know this will have to go into storage, so we have all of the boxes and everything that you need. But if the Lord wills at a later point, at an appropriate place in an appropriate context, we thought that this matches Rachel in what service is. Desi can have his sword. Which one gets closer to Jesus, a sword or a tea set? 
I think the tea set gets closer. Would you all stand? At this point, this concludes our service. Thank you for being here. Thank you to those of you that have joined us online, both live and at a later point. It has been an honor and a privilege to honor this lady and to be a part of the ceremony and the process of her moving into the acclaim of her peers. And uh, at this point, I'm going to close with a very short prayer. And then I think it would be very appropriate, if you are comfortable, those of you that are here, to come and greet her and express your congratulations to her. And for the Newark family, we get a sniffle sermon Sunday. She's tag team preaching with me, so we're going to have a great time Sunday as we commission them as well. Lord Jesus, we pray that everything we have done in this place tonight has been done in honor of you. We pray that every word that was spoken, every, pray that, every prayer that was prayed brings honor to you. God, we know that you love Rachel. We know that you formed her from her mother's womb to this day. And God, we now separate her. We lift her into her place to do the work whereunto you have called her. Bless her and keep her. Shine your face upon her. And may you ever walk with her until this life is over. And when we all open our eyes in that new kingdom that is to come, may we join together in singing hallelujah, praise to the Lamb that is slain from the foundations of the earth. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and with the church add, amen. amen. God bless you all.